Hello and welcome to episode 125 of the Batflip Crazy Podcast, where you'll always find enthusiastic, data-driven fantasy baseball analysis and strategy. I am your host, Toby. Uh, today is edition number 29, I believe, of Bubba and the Batflip, and we are bringing you our first mailbag, I think. Given everything that is happening in the world of fantasy baseball, the world of sports, uh, just life in general, we thought just lis- uh, listening to our listeners, if you will, and answering some questions folks had would be the best approach. Obviously, it has been a tough week. Uh, I will cover that a little bit in the intro with Bubba, and so I won't uh, bore you too much with that. But I really do hope that everybody um, is taking the situation seriously, that folks are practicing spatial distancing, if not social uh, distancing, putting that that critical six feet of space in between you um, and other people and really just being safe, um, both for yourself, for your neighbors, for other folks in our community who may be more vulnerable. So um, hope everybody's taken care. It is, a, it is a tough time right now and hopefully this podcast and uh, the little bit of entertainment that it provides will give you a little bit of a respite from uh, some serious stuff that's going on right now. So uh, thank you so much for listening. As always, you can reach me uh, on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. If you haven't already, I currently have 199 uh, ratings and reviews over on uh, Apple Podcasts. So if you uh, feel it uh, in your being uh, to give me that 200th uh, rating and review, I would greatly appreciate that. Just go on over to iTunes, uh, leave that rating and review. I really appreciate it. But all of that is fairly trivial with everything that's going on, but let's uh, let's have a little entertainment. It was really nice to be back together with Bubba uh, for the podcast. Let's get this party started. This call is being recorded. And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bubba and the Bat Flip, episode twenty nine. A little different than normal. Position previews are done. We expected to be doing almost a season preview after that, but that has changed all, all of a sudden. I'm on Twitter at BDentric, and you can find my co-host, as always, on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. Toby, how are we doing? Hey, Bubba. We are doing all right, uh, all things considered, I think. So kids are out of school for at least the next four weeks. I think we're probably looking at a little bit longer if I was being – if I was being honest, I also have a new microphone that I'm using. I've joined the Yeti world. And um, so you might be able to hear my children uh, talking in the background. Uh, mm-hmm. So if you can, that is my family. Uh, that's them. Uh, you can hear them. Uh, how are you doing, Bubba? I'm doing. It's uh, it's crazy. Uh, I don't have the, the children aren't home from school, but the wife is home from school, nursing school, because they shut all that down. So I'm used to having my my weekdays uh, awfully quiet around here, and now we have the families back together. So that that's new. We uh, tried to uh, get the last supplies for the house today and uh, go in from there, one day at a time, as they say. Yeah, definitely. I just uh, my oldest just came over and wanted a hug before he went back to bed. Right, Milo? Yeah. All right, he's going back to bed. Nice. All right. Good night, Milo. Good night, dear. <clears throat> All right. We're back. We're back on. We're back on it, Bubba. Perfect. Um, um, yeah. No, I was gonna say I, I gave my thoughts on, on the virus or COVID nineteen or whatever uh, on my last podcast, and obviously a lot's changed even since then. You kind of hinted at some things. What's your kind of thoughts on, on things? Just I'll, I'll let you have the floor here for a little bit. 
Yeah, no, I, I think, um, you know, it's been a little challenging, to be honest with you. Like, um, I, you know, the world is changing very, very quickly. And I think there's a lot, you know, it's hard, but, you know, fantasy baseball is kind of our hobby. It's my hobby. It's my passion. I spend a lot of time doing it. I've actually had a little bit of a difficult time uh, really being able to focus my energy and attention towards it over the last little bit. It seems um, a little less important than what's happening in the world. And so I would just, uh, I know people have different perspectives on this and they're taking this different ways. I would just hope that, you know, if you are listening to this podcast and you do, you listen to one bit of advice uh, that I have uh, at any point in any podcast I ever give, uh, it's not going to be fantasy baseball related. It would just be uh, to practice the spatial, um, uh, the spatial distancing, we'll call it spatial distancing instead of social distancing, since we're still allowed to be social, like we are right now on the podcast. And like people are doing video calls and doing all of that jazz, just um, please do do that. Because there are folks who are uh, vulnerable in our community. There are people in my family, there are people in a, many, many different families, and we're all relying on each other right now. And so I really hope that people uh, take this seriously and uh, practice that spatial distancing if they do anything. And so for those of you who haven't turned off the podcast already, me getting all high and mighty uh, on my on my high horse or whatever it is, um, you know, that that's what I will contribute to the discussion on that topic. Uh, in this podcast, I will refrain from bringing it up in additional podcasts, but that's my piece. And I just want to say I really enjoyed your kind of intro that you had on your last podcast. I think there have been some other folks who have covered it really well. I know kind of when it was breaking, uh, Eno Saris and Derek Van Riper did a great job on their podcast, really kind of highlighting the importance of it, as did uh, Rob Silver, I think, on the, the Launch Angle podcast as well. So kudos to those folks. Kudos to you um, for kind of right when it all broke, being the voice of reason um, with everything that was happening for the community. So thank you. No problem. And thank you. It's just one of those. Uh, it was tough to uh, record last Thursday. It was good to talk baseball. Once we started recording, it was good. It was just uh, everything's so different. The unknown is a very difficult thing to figure out. And that's uh, where we're at now. There's more information, of course. You know, um, they're saying about eight weeks of no, but no groups over uh, 50. And I've heard anywhere down to 10 even depends on where you're at. So that pretty much takes sports out of the realm until at least mid-May, June, maybe later, because this thing's going to take a while to get under control. So we'll wait and see how it goes. But the sooner we all help out, the sooner it'll get better. That's the way to look at it. Cause I agree. Like you said, is everyone's got different viewpoints. Yes. You know, the younger people like ourselves, we might get sick, but it's not going to really do anything to us, but there's other people around us that could get in trouble from it. So it's kind of a be selfless thing. That's, that's, that's the biggest thing I say is be selfless. Think of others around you, but you didn't come here to get uh, lectures on that. You could launch draft cheat on Twitter. He'll tell you everything you need to know, <laughs> but, um, well, and kudos, kudos, kudos to, uh, Pete as well, right? Yeah, I mean, he did yeah. a he did a great job of uh, of really letting people know what what was going on. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of great follows out there helping everybody out. But uh, in this time, let's have some fun with some baseball. If we get it back this year, that'd be great. If not, we're gonna be well rehearsed for next year. I know that much. But um, the the beauty of it is we have a bunch of listener questions because you guys are awesome. So we're going to save our hopeful targets till next week if we don't – because I'd rather just keep doing listener questions at this time because we really don't know what's going to happen. A lot of our stuff is pure speculation. Things could change week to week, and that's just the way it's going to go. So listener questions for me is almost a better way to go about things to give you guys exactly what you want to hear, even if it's not going to be accurate in like 24 hours. 
but it's better than just kind of uh, giving ideas on players and who knows what happens. So let's start off with the first one on Twitter at Mike Genre. Uh, Joe Adele or Luis Robert for this year and the next three years? Very loaded question for two guys we haven't seen in the bigs yet. So I'll let you have the floor first, Toby, but uh, interesting question. For sure. Yeah, this is actually a really funny question to me because I don't know if you remember this, but when you had a podcast with James Anderson, you guys were asking for prospect related questions. And I actually have a keeper league where I have Joe Adele and I have Luis Robert and I'm trying to decide which one of them to keep. And so I was asking James in that particular scenario, which one he would keep. And I thought his, his, uh, his answer was right on, which was essentially like, uh, I think Luis Robert has, um, has the most value, especially for this year. I mean, when you think about the power speed combo, um, that is something that plays in really any type of format. And so whether he hits his projection or not, I mean, you know, um, even if he comes up a little short, I don't think anybody is arguing with necessarily the power and the speed that he has. And so the plate appearances might be lower, not than Adele's for the first year, because I think he's, he's going to be in the majors from the, from the get-go. Um, but um, I think the power speed is legit for Robert. And so I think he is going to be the most valuable for the first year. And I think he might be a guy who benefits a little bit from like the Javi Baez style approach where he's super aggressive at the plate. And so his swinging strike rate looks kind of like off the charts, but he swings at so many pitches and swinging strike rate, like the denominator is, is swings, you know, and so, um, or his pitches. And so the more you swing, that doesn't really impact like a, as much. So like guys who are at the extremes of swinging a lot, even though they have a sw high swinging strike rate, like you look at Avisel Garcia, you look at Javi Baez, you look at Eddie Rosario, guys like that will have a higher um, swinging strike rate than what their strikeout rate would actually um, indicate. Like their strikeout rate is lower because they swing at so many pitches or so aggressive. I feel like I did a terrible job explaining that, but, um, <laughs> and so I think he's actually may, may benefit from that. And so if, if it's an OBP league, I think it's a different story, but in an average league, I think uh, I think Robert has more value this year, and I also think he has more value longer term because I think the speed, um, the speed and the power, I would say, are both better from like a tool perspective from everything I've heard uh, than uh, than with Adele. And I have a, a few questions just about Adele. Like he hasn't been as lights out, I think, throughout his minor league career, and I think there's a little bit of swing, there's a little bit of a strikeout rate issue. Um, uh, that I'm a little bit concerned about, um, at least in reading different people, but that's kind of how I feel. How about you? Yeah, yeah I, I'm with you. I, I'm a, a, a Lou Bob fan over Joe Adele for one, like you said, he's going to play to start the year if we have a year. So I, I think he already has the upper hand on this season alone. And from everything I've seen and read and, and you know, her, James Anderson, Ralph Lifshitz, all those guys, Prospects Live and others, um, Lou Bob has that kind of, Ronald type, you know, five five category type production. We're gonna be very very happy with it. Uh, Adele could be that guy. I just don't know if he has the speed to be that guy. So if you're kind of picking and chewing between uh, choosing between the two, uh, I think I'm going Lou Bob there. I, I like the upside there. I like the lineup. I like the ballpark. Uh, there's a lot of other factors that come into play that kind of give him the upper hand for me. So yeah, I go Ro I go Robert over Adele for me, but both. Both great players, and the fact you got them both in the Dynasty League explains why you probably win that Dynasty League a lot. So it's, it's uh, pretty good stuff there. Let's go to our buddy Yancey Eaton 
at Yancey Eaton on Twitter. He says, I don't know if you guys knew this, but I like the Rays. Did you know that, Toby? Because I didn't know it. <laughs> I had no idea that Yancey liked the Rays. Okay, he's, uh, yeah. he's one of those bandwagon fans, right? Like he just started liking them last year when they got good. Is that right? Yeah, I think it's that. I, I didn't know he was an actual fan. I thought he was a fan of podcasts. I didn't actually have time to watch the game. So that's, that's pretty, pretty impressive stuff there. And then he says, are you both hopeful that former top 10 prospect Brent Honeywell can overcome two plus years of injury setbacks and realize his potential in 2020? I'll let you answer this one first. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a big prospect guy. And so the thing that I normally go to in this particular instance is the projection systems. And they really like Honeywell. I mean, they don't see the volume happening this year. And I know he already got optioned, I think, um, down. So he's going to start the year in the minors, which isn't necessarily a surprise. But all of the projection systems like him. I mean, the bat is the highest on him with a three... 8-8 ERA, a 117 whip, 63 strikeouts, and 61 innings pitched, which, you know, for a rookie, um, especially with the injury history that he has, he's still, you know, he's turning 25 soon. Um, that's a nice little, that could be a nice little season. If he's out of the bullpen, maybe that's even even stronger with the velocity being up, um, playing up a little bit in the bullpen. Even ATC has him at a 4-1-4 ERA, a 1-2-8 whip. Uh, 51 strikeouts in 49 innings pitch. So about a strikeout an inning, um, better than league average ERA at or better than league average whip. I think there's a lot to like there. Um, not like a lot to like as in he's going to be a league winner for you necessarily, but I do think that he that he could be a valuable uh, addition uh, if we if we do play this year towards the back end of the season and especially heading into uh, heading into 20. 21, I mean, as you think about your dynasty leagues, you may think about picking him up now before he gets a little bit more expensive, understanding the extreme uh, injury risk that exists there. I don't know. How about you, Bubba? What do you think about Brent? Yeah, back-to-back years of missing complete scares the bejesus out of me. So I'm kind of off on Brent Honeywell. His stuff is great. Like you saw the projection sites, like the bat and others do like him. If you look at his 2017 previous, he was amazing. That's why he was a top pitching prospect. I just need to see him uh, pitch a season if I'm going to put any stock in him. If you get him cheap in Dynasty, I'd be all for it. I know there's people shopping him because they're not the only ones like me that are kind of concerned with the situation at hand. Uh, the Rays have a lot of options to pitch either starters or bullpens, so they probably won't rush him at the same time. But after two injuries, they might want to just get him up there and start using some of the bullets he has left. Um, so I, I'd be off of him this year, I, but uh, maybe he comes up later in the year, you get him on the waiver wire. And things look good after some time in AAA. I'm just not using a draft pick on him to make that happen. Uh, Yancey's other question, though, also, can Tyler Glasnow's addition of a third pitch and health ascend him to top 10 status? I'll give my answer on this first. I am not a Tyler Glasnow fan this week because the health issue is a concern for me. We have not seen him uh, pitch very many innings of late in his career, which concerns me. The third pitch can be great. It hasn't seemed to be super effective in the little bit we saw, but, you know, we've seen from last now 23, 62, 111, 60. Those are his innings pitched over the last four years. So, you know, projection sites have him around 150 to 160. I think that's being a little optimistic. I'd be more in the 140 to maybe 150 range. He's good. The third pitch can't hurt, but to be a top 10 pitcher, I'm not going to go that far just yet especially as guys like Verlander and um, Scherzer and these other guys that kind of had question marks, 
they're probably going to be just fine come opening day now. So I got no on glass now. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, if this is if we're talking about 2020, um, I think that obviously the, I think the layoff helps his value a lot. He's one of those guys where, you know, if we're dealing with, you know, a situation where guys are going to max out at like 120 innings pitched or 130 innings pitched, you know, and he's getting the exact same volume that some of the the quote unquote quote aces are, uh, then I think that increases his value dramatically because I do expect a significant amount of regression, but you can still regress what he did last year a significant amount and have a very good pitcher. The projections are pretty consistent on what they see him doing about a three, five ERA, you know, one, one, five whip, uh, with, you know, almost 11 strikeouts per nine. That's a very, very good pitcher. And so if we're talking this year, and, you know, and, and essentially like we used to be pick comparing apples to oranges, right? You had the aces, which were the apples and you had these innings limit guys who were the oranges. Well, now the apples and the oranges, I guess, are the exact same. If we're talking about, you know, a guy who starts every single game of the season or every single time in the rotation, you know, getting 120 innings pitched, right? So if that's like, like kind of the max, Obviously, there will be a difference between Glass now and some of the other guys because they have, you know, uh, uh, more diverse repertoires. They can go a third time through the order and be a little bit more successful. You know, the injury concerns that you mentioned don't just disappear with Glass now, right? So I still think that there that he gets a value boost playing this year, and I definitely think he could be a top ten guy. Um, I have not done the analysis yet, um, as I mentioned. Like I just haven't. <clears throat> really dug in that deeply but if you if you assume you know we you got to figure out like when you think the season might start uh what percentage of the season is that you know what percentage of if, if you pitch 100 percent of that percentage of the season how many innings pitched is that you know maybe dock him like an uh, an inning per start less than like you know your garrett cole or your jacob Degrom or somebody like that but over the course of 20 starts, as opposed to 32 starts, you know, that makes a little bit less of a difference. And so I do think that he's going to be a little bit more valuable this year if we, if we do end up playing. And, you know, and definitely could be a top 10 guys, because I think from a skills perspective, he outperformed what he probably should have done last year. But again, you can still regress him and be a very, very good pitcher. Yeah, no, he's going to be very good. I just, I, I'm not a top 10 guy with him, but I'm curious that third pitch because it wasn't overly dominating in the little bit we saw him in spring. Um, the next questions we have two from Baseball Pods at Baseball Pods on Twitter. Who are your top five future aces? This means starting pitchers not being drafted in the top 100 overall um, in 2020, but who could be first and second round picks in 2023? So this is a, a major speculation. Um, let's just go back and forth. Who would be your first one? Um, all right. I, I'm going to, I'm going to like, I'm going to cheat like hell on this one, Bubba, because I'm going to take like guys who are right outside the top 100. Totally fine. Um, but, uh, the first one that I'd go with is, um, Jesus Lazardo. Mm -hmm. Uh, Lazardo has looked, uh, disgusting, like since he's, uh, in, in all of his major league action so far. Um, he's just an incredibly talented pitcher right now. The biggest concern I think for a lot of people including the projection systems is really the amount of time that he pitches is the, is the li limitation on the innings. 
And the fact of the matter is, is that in two or three years, you know, it's likely, you know, barring injury, hopefully we're not in a Tyler Glass now type situation where the early part of his career is similar to that. But if he's able to stay injury free, I think you're looking at a guy who um, can definitely be uh, an ace in a little bit. He's in a great situation in Oakland, a great young team that's going to be very good, a great ballpark. Uh, He's got the stuff. I mean, you know, his his curveball and changeup are nasty. Um, his his fastballs are are good enough, you know. And so when I'm looking for a guy who's going to take that next step, I think I look for a guy who has two off speed or breaking pitches that are that look really really good. He seems to have that with the curveball and the changeup, and then a decent enough uh, fastball. And then he's got an ideal situation, and the innings hopefully will go up to the point where you know, he can toss, you know, 180 to 200 on a consistent basis. Yeah, Guzardo is a great one. Uh, no no qualms about that at all. Uh, I'll take a little bit of a cheat code here as well. Coming off an injury, draft stock has plummeted. I'm going to go Shohei Otani. I'm going to take it to cheat on that one because he's going well outside the top 100. But he's a guy that, if healthy, I think, you know, they've, they've kind of kept the, the kids' gloves on him. I think by 2023, three years, or at least two years of uh, hopefully pitching injury-free, they'll let him start pitching like a normal pitcher. And if that's the case, he has elite, elite caliber stuff. Even if we can just get like 20 to 25 starts out of Shoei Otani, he can be very, very good. Start giving him 30-plus potential, he's going to be great. You know, master strikeout rate, uh, ratios are, are pretty darn solid. Uh, I, I like what Otani can do. And, hey, he's got Mike Trout there, so the wins can be possible because Trout's, Trout's the GOAT. So, um, give me Shohei Otani as a future ace. All right. Um, I don't know if it really counts as cheating, but let's just go. Let's just go with that. I'm going to go with Zach Gallon. Yep. Um, I haven't talked a ton about Zach Gallon in this offseason. I think largely because of the strategy that I was employing. I oftentimes didn't go after guys that were going in his range. I think he's been pretty solidly like pick 100 to 120 in drafts. And it's just not a place where I'm necessarily looking for a starting pitcher. But when you look at the repertoire that um, Gallon has, I love that word, by the way, repertoire. 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 (laughs) Zach Gallon and his repertoire look really nice. So, uh, you know, last year, we obviously just have one season in the big leagues, but he's got one pitch, his changeup, that has a swinging strike rate above 20% at 21.3%. Then he's got his curveball and slider right around 15%. So if one of those two pitches can take that kind of next step into the, in you know, like, I mean, it doesn't even have to take a next step, but if it did, you know, you could see that being incredibly elite. Um, he gets chases on pitches outside the zone, uh, 45.2%, 45.3%, and 40.8% on his breaking and off speed stuff. So that's three pitches that get chases outside the zone as well. Definitely needs to work on the fastball. I mean, the fastball is not his best pitch, and I think we can say that for a lot of guys, but it is better, I think, than a lot of the weak fastball-type guys. You know, the O-swing is not great, but it does get some chases outside the zone. Inside the zone, it's right around league average. Um, Overall, the contact rate on it is about league average. Swinging strike rate is 8.5%, which is not bad, not great for a four-seam fastball. I think the key is just fading that sinker that he threw a little bit. Just make sure that that just stays out of the out of the scenario. But once he has a few years under his belt, 
um, and he finds out, you know, what type of um, what type of sequencing and how to pitch a little bit more in the big leagues. I mean, he's already been really good, but I think once he has a little bit more of that experience, maybe one one of those other pitches takes that next step, or he's able to increase the velo on that fastball. Whatever it is, I think it's just a, he's just a minor adjustment away um, from being a really top notch starting pitcher if he's not already there. So I think Zach Gallon would be the next guy that I would list. Yeah, I absolutely love Zach Gallon. That's a guy I am picking everywhere. Um, you took him, so I will take a different one here. I am going to go with a guy I have a lot of places as well. And I'm hoping for a big bounce back here. And I know I'm not the only one who feels this way as at all, but Mitch Keller is a guy that's going super cheap this year. And we've seen him in the minors time and time again. He's pitched phenomenal. Had the hiccups last year in, in his stint with the Pirates, but the new regime in Pittsburgh using actual data and advanced stats. I know it's a novel concept these days. So that that's good to see. Um, his stuff is electric, very, very strong pitch mix. So I, I think Mitch Keller pitching in Pittsburgh, getting established a new format with Musgrove and Archer and all those pitchers. And, um, you know, going back to his maybe minor league roots to actually become a pitcher and, and take advantage of what is good with him, I think can go a long, long ways. And maybe they'll get tie on back eventually as well. It could be a nice young core there. Uh, I think Keller's got the upside to be huge. People have waited for him to be an elite starting pitcher in that rotation for a while. And last year, um, like I said, not pretty in the pros, was just fine in the minors, been fine in the minors pretty much his whole career. So uh, I'll take that uh, short cup of coffee, 48 innings, and kind of brush it to the side and see what the kid can do this year. And by 2023, he could be a, an ace in baseball. So uh, Mitch Keller is another one for me. Who would be a third one for you? Um, the next one for me, I'm going to go with Julio uh, Urias. Uh, number one, he's on the Dodgers. Dodgers are going to be really good for a long time. Uh, but again, he falls into this uh, category of, you know, younger guys who have uh, two or more uh, really strong off-speed offerings. Uh, he's got you know, 21.2% swinging strike rate on the changeup with a 50% chase rate. Uh, that's nasty. The slider, 15% swinging strike rate. Not terrific for a slider. The O-swing isn't amazing at 31.7%. Um, but the four-seam fastball has played up. Obviously, in the bullpen last year, it's a 12% um, swinging strike rate. And a 30.5% O-swing on that type of a pitch is, is really strong. So I really like um, what he was able to do. He's got a curveball that he's been using. If he ditched that and just focused on those three pitches, uh, I think we would be talking about um, him taking a really big step this next year as well. Um, so I just really like the situation for him. We forget really easily that he, you know, he didn't really pitch last year uh, or in 2018. So he's still build, building that arm strength up. Um, and so I think in a couple years, he should be a frontline piece of that rotation, if not the frontline piece of that rotation. Um, at this point, as Kershaw kind of fades a little bit more in a couple years, he'll probably be there to ascend into the, uh, in, or actually Walker Bueller's there, never mind. So he'll be behind Bueller. But again, <laughs> another just very good um, young arm with, uh, with a repertoire that I think can be successful in the future. Yeah, I don't mind that at all. My next one, I'm going to go maybe, I think the stuff is amazing. It's a matter of command with this pitcher. And if he ever figures out command, he's going to be very tough to beat. And that's going to be Dylan Cease. Uh, I like what I see with him. Uh, what we saw in spring was good. Very, very, like going into this spring, it's always been a walk issue. 
with Dylan Cease. He's been uh, in, in his time in the minors and in the bigs. Like last year in the bigs, 10.7%. He's been over 10. He's been over 9.7. It's just essentially over 10% walk rate everywhere he's been. But he's also been basically at 25% walk rate or, or K, K rate everywhere he's been as well. Uh, you look at his, his short time in the majors last year. Fastball had a 48, almost 49% swing strike rate. Uh, slider a 45%, change up a 52% swing and strike rate. All phenomenal pitches from Dylan Cease. He either has all, God, I can't even talk right now. He also has a curveball as well. So, like four pitches he uses pretty frequently as a pitch mix. Just a matter of can he keep the ball uh, in the strike zone and make it work there. He's going to be one of those guys like Cole where he throws the ball so hard. We've seen it at times where he'll give up the long ball. But if he's not walking guys, then he's okay because he can limit the long ball. He, gives, he was given up almost – he's given up over 28% home runs on outfield fly balls last year, which was uh, not ideal to say the least. And it might be a little bouncy ball related, but not a ton. But I just – I really like what, what he's uh, – the pitch mix, the improvements we saw this spring. If he starts to limit the walks, then uh, I, I'd be a, a big, big fan of Dylan Cease. Like I said, long ways to go, but definitely still possible when you look at the overall, you know, mix and makeup of this kid. He could be – very, very good. So Cease is a guy I think in three years could be a potential ace. Who's your fourth? Oh, man. We're getting to the part where it's like really hard to decide. I'm trying to decide between like three or four different guys here. Um, let's go with – oh, I'm gonna just going to go with this guy. Let's go with Matthew Boyd. Um, I'm a big fan of Boyd this year. Uh, he – you know, I love the approach. I know it's like a total stereotype and everybody's like, we, I, I was one of the people that fell for Trevor Bauer last year because he talked a big game about, you know, just driveline and buying into that stuff. And, and I think the thing for me with Boyd is, you know, I was really excited by his spring. You know, he has had pitches in this, in the past that have been successful. You know, he, um, he had the uh, the changeup, which has been successful in the past, uh, with 16.2% st uh, swinging strike rate in 2017, 21.6% swinging strike rate in 2016. So that's the third pitch. That, that is the third pitch that can be really, really good. Even last year, it was at 14.8%, but he didn't really trust it. But the velo has gone up. It was even up a little bit in the spring based on what we had seen. Um, you know, the, the fastball is good enough. The slider is absolutely, uh, filthy. And so if the changeup, or I know he was working on a curve as well, if either one of those pitches can kind of take that next step forward, I think he can be really good. And in two or three years, he probably won't be on the tigers anymore. So you just assume he'll be on some team that can probably, although the tigers aren't bad at, at, at the, um, analytical piece at all. I mean, they've got some young guys who are up and coming you know, in the majors even who have done a decent job, I think of um, just kind of growing as pitchers, but you know, he'll probably be on a team that'll win a few more games. And so I, I really like him to be able to take the next step, you know, one of these, these next seasons to be up there in that kind of elite, elite crew. Yeah. Not a bad one at all. I'm going to go with another, another lefty, uh, Jesus Lazaro's teammate and AJ Puck. Uh, I think Lazaro's the better of the two, but Puck can be just there with him. If it wasn't for injuries, he'd be right next to him in the grand scheme of things. And he's got the elite fastball, a really, really good slider, and the changeup he's trying to work on. If we get that changeup to be a little more consistent, that's not bad to have an 89-mile-an-hour changeup to go with a 97-mile-an-hour fastball on average. That'd be pretty strong. 
slider at a 54% swinging, uh, swinging strike rate or swing percentage, 20% swinging strike rate. Let me correct that one. Change up at 26% swinging strike rate, which would be darn impressive there as well. So uh, I really like what AJ Puck has, has to offer. I've already said on other shows where I think, you know, with the injury setback this year, I think he should come back out of the bullpen and help be a lefty potential Josh Hader type uh, for the A's. I think he'd be great there with the new relief pitcher rules, which would be funny if we don't even see Manfred's craziness this year. But um, I, I think Puck has that upside to be very, very good. Lazardo and Puck, back-to-back lefties to can just dominate a rotation for the next few years and um, big things to come out of Oakland. And I think Puck and, uh, and Lazardo both potential future aces. Who's your fifth guy? I'm throwing caution to the wind here, Bubba. I'm going to go with my heart. Uh-huh. I'm not going to give any type of analytics. I'm not going to give anything to back this up whatsoever. Okay. I'm going to go with myself in two, in two to three years. That flip crazy. will be a top 10 starting pitcher. No, I'm just kidding. I'm going to go with Joe Musgrove. I'm going to go with my heart. I'm going to go with Joe Musgrove. I'm going to go with Joe Musgrove again, slider 20% swinging strike rate, pretty much change up 19% swinging strike rate curveball, newly introduced curveball that he was throwing a ton more towards the end of last season. 17% 17% swinging strike rate. All of them get a ton of chases. So he gets people to chase outside the zone. He doesn't walk dudes. He's got the swinging strike rate. All he needs, all he needs is the fastball. And ladies and gentlemen, last year, towards the end of last season, after abdominal surgery in the offseason, his fastball velocity was up. And with it, with it, the swinging strike rate on that four-seam fastball in the month of September in a sample size of 100 pitches was 14.8, uh, 14.4%. And so if he can get that velo and he can maintain that velo and that pitch can be a pitch that he throws in the zone and can dominate hitters with, with the off-speed stuff that Musgrove has, I think he can be a top 10 starter. And maybe it's just one of those situations where he needs a couple more years. He's in a more analytically inclined system right now. And I think that's great. Uh, maybe he'll need a change of scenery. Who knows? But I think I think stardom is in Joe Musgrove's future. That would be electric if uh, bat, the, the Bat Flip Crazy brand comes true in 2023 with some uh, Joe Musgrove action. That would be something it'll, it'll crazy. Only t- It'll only take me three years for my brand to really get going. <laughs> by the way, by the way, speaking of branding, I am wearing a Batfoot Crazy branded sweatshirt right now. I don't That's know pretty people... slick. Oh, man, Bubba, my, uh, my wife came through for me. For people who are not on Twitter and did not see the photo, uh, for Valentine's Day this year, uh, my wife went above and beyond. I had no idea it was happening. She got uh, me and, and the, the two kids and herself, uh, all Batflip Crazy t-shirts. So like with the logo on them. And then she got me a Batflip Crazy hoodie and a Batflip Crazy baseball hat. Uh, and we were going to, I was, and the goal, she bought them for me to wear in Vegas to the NFBC drafts, you know, so we're going to roll up. I was going to be like the guy who doesn't wear like another <laughs> band's, you know, t-shirt to the concert. He wears his own band's t-shirt to the concert that's playing or something like that. I don't know, but it was going to be awesome. I was just like picturing us in the, in the, like uh, checking into the hotel, 
dressed out in our like bat flip crazy gear, like seeing all the different players being like, what's up, what's up, what's up. But, uh, you know, coronavirus had other plans for, uh, for the future. And we'll have to, we'll have to put those aside until maybe next year, maybe next year I'll have like a onesie. I'll have like a full out onesie. That's like bat flip crazy, but you know how like, They've got like the juicy pants where the juicy's on the backside. <laughs> I'm gonna get one where like the back, the back crazy, back of crazy's on the backside. But maybe it's like two of the circular logos, like one, right, two, each you cheek. know, something like that. There you go. Oh man, I'm getting crazy. But um, but I do want I do want to say that was like the greatest <laughs> gift that I've ever received. And the, and the hat does look dope. Like I didn't I yeah. did not think that it was I I don't know what I was expecting, but. It looked pretty good. I've had a couple people reach out, which I really, really appreciate being like, hey, can I get that? So who knows? Maybe that's what I, maybe, maybe I will work by 2023 when Joe Musgrove is a top 10 starting pitcher. I will have some, uh, some merch that people can buy. How does that sound? That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. The stuff looks great. It would have been fun. It would have been awesome. The whole family walks up together. It's like the families that go on vacation, they travel together, they dress together and and you never get lost (laughs) that way. Totally. It'd be absolutely amazing. My fifth guy, and this is shooting in the dark, but hopefully he can finally stay healthy. But if he can stay healthy, I've always thought he had electric top-end stuff, and that's Lance McCullers, I think, by 2023. Uh, you know, Because this year will be the first year off of Tommy John, which could benefit him now as a shortened season comes into play. He'll be about 30 years old in 2023. Um, he's had pretty much really, really good ratios every season, uh, over a, almost 10K per nine every time. Walks are an issue here and there. Keeps the ball in the ballpark. Uh, he's with the Astros for now, at least uh, through 2022. Uh, there's a lot to like with Lance McCullers. And if he continues to develop uh, back from this injury with the curveball and, and the fastball usage that he has, I think he can be a sneaky ace. I've always been a huge Lance McCullers fan. And all the projection sites love him for 20, 22 to 24 starts, about 140 innings. Ratios all look very solid strikeouts there. So, no one's doubting his upside. It's more of how many innings we're eating it this year. And now might not be a concern. So Lance McCullers, come on down. That's one other guy that's kind of going to go up my draft board as I redo my updates, trying to figure out how the heck I'm going to do my rankings with, we don't know a starting time. So it's so much fun, but uh, McCullers future ace for me. All right, let's get to the second question for baseball pods. He asks, what are you doing to scratch the baseball itch? Strat, stratomatic, the uh, show, or strategy, the show, books, more fantasy prep. Toby, what are you doing to fix the itch? Oh, Bubba, the itch. Um, yeah, going, doing this podcast, it's nice because I'm getting excited again, you know, just analyzing uh, baseball, engaging in fantasy baseball again. To be honest with you, like I haven't done – um, I haven't done a ton since the news broke, broke down. Um, you know, I, I have been reading a little bit, like I didn't, uh, I got through like the, like most of the process. There was just like the, the back end, which focuses on kind of like fab strategy and stuff like that. So I've been reading a little bit about that, but mostly I've actually been reading Harry Potter with my, uh, with my six-year-old. So great books, we've, great books. Yeah, I'm really enjoying that. So um, before the podcast, so we're we're like we're in book one. So Sorcerer's Stone, uh, they have um, they have these these versions that I think are really good for younger kids now, where they're kind of like a, uh, I don't know if a graphic novel is right because I don't read them, but like they're they're illustrated uh, books. 
um, but like big kind of thick, like coffee table type books. Um, and so we're reading that one and he's really enjoying that. He's really into it. I'm getting pretty into it because I haven't read this series before. And so we've got like maybe 60 pages left or something like that. And we were just talking before the podcast about how we were going to do um, Harry Potter finishing days is what we're going to call them. <laughs> but essentially the, on the day that we finish uh, each of the Harry Potter books, we're going to uh, watch the movie. And so awesome. he's really excited about that. I'm really excited about that. Uh, he's probably going to be pretty freaked out by the movies would be my guess, because like uh -huh. some of the monsters and stuff like that, that are in the books that we're reading right now, I think when he sees them on the, on the movie, uh, are going to be a little intense for him. So, but you know, he's really excited about doing that. He's really getting into, into reading and, um, I'm excited about that. So that's kind of how I've been, I've been spending a little bit more time doing that, which has been which has been nice to be honest with you and just kind of relaxing maybe a little bit more and, and doing some more work around the house. So that's what I've been doing. How about you, Bubba? Yeah. I, uh, I did a couple of podcasts that were tricky. I took a couple more days off and then, uh, I've been writing more. I've been digging into research as in guys that I wasn't sure on because eventually I have the hopes and dreams that we do play fantasy baseball again. So I'm trying to figure out whatever I can. Uh, I'm not trying to go overly crazy because, like I said, we don't know exactly where things are going to go. So I've been doing stuff like that, but I've also been, you know, catching up on TV, spending extra time with uh, the wife, getting stuff ready for some stuff coming up this summer, um, trying to get money back for a trip I'm not going on anymore because of coronavirus. That's been exciting because, you know, billion-dollar companies need to keep all the money, so that's always fun. But uh, other than that, it's uh, it's just kind of been relaxing and uh, kind of enjoying some downtime for now. I'm still working, so that's not changing at all. So that's staying busy as I get busier as the spring and summer come along. So my life isn't going to change much in that respect, minus people, maybe less people on the road. But um, yeah, otherwise... I'm trying to keep going with the baseball. I've actually uh, put two articles up for edit over at Loto Baller, so it should be coming out shortly. Nice. Which, uh, it, we'll see how that goes. It's, it's just one thing. I've, oh, and I'm trying to learn how to do more YouTube content, so that should be coming out. Oh, well. yeah. Basically try, trying Me to Me too, busy. Bubba. We got to do a YouTube show. We will. We will for sure. Cool. That will definitely happen. Yeah. Yeah. All right. a, there, there's some new things coming up in that respect for the uh, Bubba world, so we can intertwine it. With the bathroom nice, crazy nice, world. Nice, now I have nice, to nice. now I have to get bubble bench of bubble gear so I can match. Jeez, here we there go. There you go. Oh <laughs> hell yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh sideline squib podcast ask. I have my big money auction draft this week and would love to hear some last minute thoughts on players like uh Lazardo, Puig uh, at their price versus Acuna Trout at theirs and how it opens up other avenues for production. Understanding you don't do auction, but I can convert. So I think Lazardo is what he meant. It's Laser slash Puig. I'm pretty sure it's Lazardo. Mm -hmm. um, how would you compare Lazardo Puig to Acuna? Well, I guess Lazardo versus Puig, and then Acuna versus Trout. How I see it. Um, yeah. How do you go about that? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think um, with Lazardo, the key is that you know the the innings limit is not going to be as much of a detrimental factor. So. I think what you do in that particular instance is, you know, within your projection system or within your projections, you just uh, even out the even out the innings pitched a little bit, right? So you're looking more at, you know, um, K percentage or K per nine, 
uh, in the projections to see who you might expect to have more if you assume that both of them are going to pitch like about the same amount, right? Like him and some of the other um, starting pitchers there. And, you know, the projections are pretty nice uh, on him. And so I think that uh, Lazardo definitely gains a lot of value. The question is like, how sharp is the room that you're going to be into in? Excuse me. Bless you. Don't worry. I used appropriate etiquette there. I sneezed <laughs> into my elbow. After the, uh, after the podcast, I will be washing my hands and hand sanitizing uh, just to make sure that we're keeping the germs uh, at bay, not spreading anything. Um, so I think that's what you really have to um, think about. I mean, it's like kind of like my apples and oranges thing. I don't know if that made sense earlier, but I'm going to use it again. Is like It used to be that the aces were the apples and the guys with inning pitch limits are oranges and now they're like, they, like they're essentially the same thing. Maybe there's a 10, maybe there's a 20 inning pitch difference versus an 80 innings pitch difference. Right. And this assumes like, I mean, my, my overarching assumption is the best case scenario right now is we get half a season, you know, so like 80, 80 games or something like that um, would be, would be my kind of going assumption right now in terms of best case scenario. And if that's the case, I mean, it may even be a little uh, smaller than that. So I think what you need to do, like I haven't done the auction value adjustments, um, anything like that, but, you know, Lazardo based on just his ratios is pretty high up there. You know, I think he's more in like the kind of um, in the, you know, Noah, I don't know if it's Noah Syndergaard range, but in, in there, like if there wasn't some type of innings pitched restriction. And so it just depends on how sharp your draft is and whether people are going to know to push that type of a player up with P with Puig, I think it's a much bigger question, right? Because Puig has not signed. I don't even hear rumors, no rumors of him signing anywhere, right? There doesn't really seem to be a fit. Now that doesn't mean that won't one won't materialize, but I think that happens when there's an injury, right? Like with the Rangers, you know, with Willie Calhoun getting hit, that was one where I was like, oh well, maybe we'll hear some rumors about Puig joining because that would actually be a good fit. We didn't hear anything of the sort. And so I'd be surprised if we didn't find somewhere, but the question is, does he find full-time playing time? You know, you know, when does he find that? Like, you know, everybody else is going to be, I guess he's getting a little bit of a, he's a little lucky in the sense that if the season starts again, like everybody else will be coming in from the cold too. But, you know, I, I see a re the reason why Puig is dropping so far and hopefully he signs somewhere because the game is better because of that. But, um, yeah, and then I think um, with Acuna and, and Trout, I mean, again, it depends on like what the league format is, but um, in a, in a um, I mean, for me, like for me, it's it's Acuna. It's not. I love Trout. I think he's great, but I just put a lot of value on those stolen bases, and I think those talent stolen bases are going to be really, really good. I think you can go either either direction, but if you're talking from a value perspective, I think what you just need to do is. Um, you know, put together your valuations, put together where they're going at ADP, translate that ADP into a dollar figure and figure out which one's giving you the most value. But I also think that early on in drafts, the value of the player is less important than the foundation that you're building because all the players at the top are really good. So the question is, you know, um, uh, you know, what do you want your team to look like coming out of the first four or five rounds? What do you want to be chasing in terms of categories or if you're chasing anything at all? And so use that as kind of 
you know, where you're going to go. And then you want to be looking for value later on. So it's less for me about like Puig versus those guys. It's more about, um, you know, Puig versus whatever the other outfielders going at a similar uh, range are in ADP or in an auction, you know, going at a similar cost and which one you like more. And, and so I don't know, I, that's rambling and not a very good answer, but I just think you need to determine value. I think you need to adjust your projections for the different playing time and see what it looks like. And I think that will give you a better sense and it'll flatten the curve a little bit, I think. But I think those guys who are highly, highly, highly skilled at the very top are going to have even more value in a shortened, shortened season. I would also say, sorry, I was already rambling and now I'm going to add something on is with a shorter season, you're going to have more opportunity for variance to have um, a bigger impact. And so if you can get lower variance guys from a plate discipline perspective, so guys with good contact skills, guys with good plate discipline, you may have a little bit of an advantage because they're, you're less likely to catch the, the really high or the really low swings. And I think what you really want to be avoiding is those really low swings because we've seen like a guy like Javi Baez can have a very low swing for, you know, a quarter to a third of the season like he did a couple of years ago. And if you get that in the in a shortened season, then you're, you could be in a lot of trouble. Yep, no, that's a good way to put it. Uh, for Lazardo Puig, you nailed it for me. It's Lazardo down with the innings going to probably be different, is, is much more valuable than he was before. And Puig, it's mind-boggling to me. There's no rumors. There's nothing swirling about Puig. He should have been signed a long time ago for me. I was taking gambles late in drafts on him, assuming he'd eventually sign somewhere as value, and it's just really weird that he's not going. If you can get him cheap, go for it. I, I don't mind the gamble. If you can make your rest of your roster work, just realize he doesn't have a job. Like he is unemployed right now. And that, that's, that's really tough to uh, put a finger on things. Uh, Acuna and Trout, I've been Acuna from day one over those two. They're very, very close. Trout's amazing. Not going to knock anybody for taking Trout, but uh, Acuna with uh, the steals upside. I'm a tremendous fan of those. And the one thing I'll, I'll add on to what you were saying is uh, someone else asked me on Twitter today about auctions and how they could research and I pointed him to my podcast with Ariel Cohen, which was amazing on strategy for auctions. Yeah, he's super sharp in that respect. But then also, like you've talked about before, go to the Fangraphs auction calculator. That can help a lot so you can pick your your stats you want to use there, whatever projections you want to use. And then the latest thing, which I, I really enjoy looking at, and I used to never do it, but I kind of do now just to get a different feel because I don't auction much. And I want to start auctioning more because it seems like when I've done it before, it's awesome. It's just I don't know if I have the time for it sometimes. Um, and then I also kind of want to look into ALNL only leagues. But that just seems like everything else going on. That just seems crazy. But uh, Tout Wars just took place over the weekend, all the auctions. Go back and look at like the mixed league auction um, prices. They were points leagues. They were head-to-head format. So they'll be a little different maybe than if you're doing Roto or whatnot. But you'll still get the, a similar idea to what's going on. Also, Tout uses OVP. So keep that in mind. That's why some guys go different. Like some guys still went way higher than I thought they should have. I won't break that down right now. Kind of surprised me. But you at least get the idea. Like you want to compare Acuna and Trout. No matter what format you're in, they're going to be pretty darn similar. Like for the most part, OBP, Trout should be higher than Acuna. Yes. But overall, they're going to be just a couple dollars apart for the most part. So go check out things like that. It could help you with the Puig questions, the Lazardo questions, because the guys drafted this past weekend are very, very sharp individuals. You'd have to imagine they're at least taking a shortened season into the draft room with them as their mindset, you would think. So uh, I'd, I'd recommend checking out the trout, uh, the tout 
not trout, the tout um, prices to get a better idea as well. All right. The next listener question at Dave Petros Yellow, our buddy Dave. <laughs> this one's, it, it, it hurts, Dave. This one really hurts. Toby, will Carson Kelly ever not bat eighth? <laughs> um, you know, that's an interesting question. Uh, Dave, hello. Thank you for all the kind words um, that you have for the podcast. Um, uh, I'm not a huge Carson Kelly fan. Um, you know, the second half of last year was pretty brutal for him. He had a pretty precipitous decline in his, uh, in his contact rate um, and in uh, some of the skills. And so, you know, let's, let's take a look before I say anything that I might regret later on. Um, let's take a look at that lineup. So the question is, you know, is he going to be better than Nick Ahmed, really, right? Because I don't think Starling Marte, Kettle Marte, Eduardo Escobar, David Peralta, Christian Walker, Cole Calhoun, Nick Ahmed, Carson Kelly. So I would say the answer is probably going to be no, just because I think he's the worst hitter out of that group of players. And... And yeah, I'm, I'm really sorry. I mean, I think there's an argument to be made that he's better than Ahmed and, but Ahmed's got some things going for him, like the a little bit of speed um, that I don't think it's enough to push Kelly over Ahmed, because I think you'd rather have a guy who has at least a little bit of speed um, in that seventh position versus the eighth position. And the difference between those two guys is not enough. Ahmed actually is a guy that I kind of dug, dug at least in the second half last year. He's made some improvements at the plate. So uh, probably not Dave, but hopefully, you know, when the season starts, if the season starts, then he will come out, come out firing and maybe he can move up all the way to sixth. <laughs> Yeah, he's going to have to come out firing because I do agree it's going to be tough to move up past like Christian Walker, Peralta, Escobar, Marte, Marte. That top five is pretty loaded. Cole Calhoun's pretty darn good too. So it's basically between Nick Ahmed and Carson Kelly for the most part, which is very frustrating. Uh, Ahmed did have a great season last year, especially that second half, like you mentioned. Um, I'm a big Carson Kelly fan. He, If you look at his X stats, he, he underachieved at times. The second half might not have been great, but – Overall, uh, a lot to like with, with Carson Kelly. He's still young and developing his plate discipline, which has been his biggest bugaboo of, of late or to start the season. I, I like him a lot, but um, I'm with you looking at the lineup. It's hard to see where he actually uh, fits in, and, that, and that's the hardest part uh, with, with Carson Kelly. So sadly, as much as I don't want to, I think he's going to be stuck batting eight for a while, and that really, really does stink. I'm with you there. All right. Andrew Matney asks, how much should we be pushing up the innings limit pitchers like Urias, Puck, and Luzardo? We kind of already talked about all three of these, but would you like to reiterate how you're, uh, you're talking about these guys going forward, assuming we get a season at some time? Yeah. Hi, Andrew. How are you doing? Andrew's a good friend of mine uh, from college. We were going to do the main event together. Um, in, in Vegas. So, um, we, uh, I think, you know, I think they get pushed up a considerable amount. I mean, I think the thing that you're really looking at is, you know, is 
how many innings are they likely to pitch per start? And then if they pitched all of their starts, what would their innings pitch total be? And so let's just assume that like Lazardo and at least Urias, because I think Puck is a little bit of a different situation because of that injury during spring training. But let's just say those guys, you know, you, you, you're, they're going to pitch, I don't know, five and a half innings per start and we have half a season. So you're talking about 16, um, you know, 16, uh, 16 starts, you know, 16 times what's 16 times five and a half. That's only like not, that's like less than 90 innings. So look at that compared to maybe a guy like a Verlander or a DeGrom, you know, who's going to pitch maybe on average seven innings per start. And so a difference of one and a half innings per start multiplied by 16, that's a 24 innings pitch difference versus an 80 innings pitch difference. If one was at 120, like we expected, and another one was at 200. So that's a significant amount. I mean, what is that? That's, uh, that's one, I don't know what, what, uh, God, I'm bad. So the difference would have been 80 theoretically. And now the difference is 24. So it's like a quarter, a little more than a quarter, you know, like maybe a third or something like that. Yeah. So it's like, so you're essentially, you know, uh, that's, that's how much the gap is closing. Like it's, it's, it's a pretty significant close in the gap. And then you, then you adjust for skills. Right. And so, Uh, I've been trying to do it. I'm not nifty enough with like the projections, but like what I would do is find a starting pitcher that has a pretty similar um, projection to um, Lizardo. And so like, let's say Lizardo's projection for next year is, uh, is three, about three, seven to three, eight with a one, two ish whip. And then about a strikeout per inning. So look at similar guys with similar um, projections and see where they're going right now. I mean that that is pretty favorable to a Noah Syndergaard projection, you know. And so if that's the case, and Noah Syndergaard to me is not one of those high volume type aces, then you're talking about a difference of maybe a round between where Syndergaard should go and where Lazardo should go, arguably looking at their projections, Lazardo should be going maybe a little bit uh, ahead of him because he's projected for a better ERA and a better whip by some metrics. And so that's a pretty significant boost for Lazardo because from a skills perspective, I think he's, he's right up there, not necessarily with the aces, but I think you could argue he's in that um, kind of second or, or beginning of that third tier after those second aces. No, no, I'm with you. I think it's going to boost up a lot of guys. Like I talked about McCullers earlier. Um, heck, look at guys like Rich Hill and some of these other guys that might not even be in, on the uh, the, the radar. Great call right like, there. Like, like we, we were all talking about how Rich Hill would be a good guy to pick up later on and everything. Well, now he might start the season as a pitcher in the Twins organization. So that's why I said like I'm, I'm slowly putting my rankings together. I'm not nearly as ambitious because I'm trying to wait as long as possible. But there are people that are still drafting. They're doing draft champions. So I'm trying to get stuff out there in, in thoughts of that. And there, there's a lot of guys. I think it's going to benefit anybody on an innings limit, any of these injured guys. Like all of a sudden, James Paxton becomes at least something interesting to me where he was pretty much don't touch before. Um, a lot of stuff like that. Maybe next week if we have more information, we're going to do our, our hopeful guys. Uh, one of these weeks we'll sit down and kind of, 
get an idea on, on where some of these guys go back to that we weren't like sale. I'm still not touching, but there's other guys like, you know, Blake Snell all of a sudden becomes a little, little more interesting stuff along those lines um, that we can talk about, but guys like Urias and, and McCullers and um, Lazardo and Puck and all them much more interesting, like you said, than they were before. All right. Damien at Damoman 76. This is a fun one. What do y'all think about Ryan O'Hearn? Um, I'll let you have the floor on this one because I've had I have mixed reviews on Ryan O'Hearn. Yeah, Ryan O'Hearn was actually a guy that in some of my 15 team leagues, because of the Royals early season schedule, I think they played like the Royals twice, the Tigers twice, um, which actually the Tigers aren't great for O'Hearn because of the because of the lefties. Like he's got some really significant splits. He was awful. Uh, early on last year and I'm double checking this because it's been a little while since I dug in on O'Hearn recently but yeah so towards the second half of last year I think the biggest change that he made and again I'm looking as we speak so um, hopefully this is true yeah there we go so his ground ball rate with that this was the key he's slow as all hell right but um, he's super slow, but and so the key to his 2018 success was a low ground ball rate. He was hitting the ball in the air a lot because he, when he hits the ball in the air, he does really, really well. And he started to do that towards the um, end of last year. His ground ball rate was under 40% in his last 40 games. His hard hit rate was at 57% over his last 40 games. The contact rate was actually really good because he's only going up against righties, right? He sucks against lefties, but against righties, he's really good. So he has league average contact rates, a 57% hard hit rate, a ground ball rate that's lower than league average. And then his O swing is about league average as well. And so he was really starting to put together, um, you know, some really solid play. And he has the strong side of the platoon for the Royals in a pretty crappy division. And so I can see him being a guy that you could kind of, um, that you could just roll with. You know, like you could just roll him in when he's playing three out of four or four out of four or three out of three. Um, and then, you know, no no harm, no foul if he doesn't like do well. Um, but, you know, yeah, his average exit velocity over his last 50 batted balls was 92.3. It was all the way up. It, ra- it ranged. Yeah, like let's see what it was over his last 100 batted balls even. Yeah, over his last 100 batted balls, it was close to 91 miles per hour, which is really good. Um, And then his hard hit rate, according to StatCast, was at 46%, right? So way above league average. So I think there's a lot to like about Ryan O'Hearn, especially with the the opponents that the Royals are going to go up against. So I was actually planning to nab him kind of towards the end of some of my 15-team drafts, possibly if I needed a little bit of corner infield. Um, or even first base, like just to throw in there when he was going up against the Orioles, the Tigers, even, the, I mean, even the Twins, you know, um, uh, you know, just to throw him in there during that first month and see what happened. Because I, I do think that I saw some really nice changes in underlying skills that showed that he'd made adjustments from early in the year and was starting to thrive. Yeah, I like Ryan O'Hearn. He's a guy that I uh, use a lot in DFS in the right matchups because you mentioned yeah, especially towards the end of last year, he was really like hitting uh, righties really, really hard. That, that was a big thing of him. The biggest thing with O'Hearn, though, is that batting average is atrocious. Buck 95 last year. Sure, the XBA was 227, so he, he, a little bit more improvement there. But, you know, you mentioned the second half of the year. Just looking at the full season package, 
He's been forty, um, basically a forty-four percent hard hit guy for two straight years. That's great. Last year, his launch angle dropped a lot. His sweet spot percentage dropped a lot. His barrel rate dropped a lot. So a lot of drops last year, even though the K rate and the walk rate stayed the same. So it's one of those things. If he just makes like a slight tweak back, he, uh, he hit 262 in 2018. If he makes a slight tweak back, he's back to maybe a 250 plus hitter. Projection sites don't think so. They got him at 230. But you even look at like uh, Chamberlain's thing. One thing I like to look at quite a bit is uh, deserved barrels because he, we said he had a 9.1% barrel rate. If you look at his deserved barrels, it was still 8.4%. So it wasn't a massive drop-off. I've seen a ton of massive drop-offs from certain players. And it makes you really think like, whoa, was it bouncy ball? Was it not bouncy ball? At least when Hearn hits the ball hard, he hits the ball hard. There's like no sugarcoating that at all. It's just a matter of, um, you know, keeping the ball. His chase rate, the, the biggest thing with him is chase rate went up from 22.5 to 28% last year. So he, he was really expanding the zone, which is crazy when you think about it because the strikeout rate wasn't there. But what it does is it probably limited the quality of content, maybe, you know, Absolutely. going out going outside on a pitch and trying to pull an outside pitch, grounding it out to second base, stuff along those lines. His ground ball rate went from 35 to 48%. So he's rolling over on things last year. Fly ball rate went from 33 to 25%. So the hard hit was there. The power was there like we've seen. But the average dropped tremendously because, like I said, it's weird – when guys chase more and you see kind of tweaks and maybe overall production, the, the the strikeout rate was almost identical to last year. The walk rate was like a percentage point less. So all that was equal, but ground ball rate skyrocketed. Fly ball went down. He started expanding the zone more. So he wasn't hitting. That's why the sweet spot percentage went down all that good stuff. Limiting his barrels because it's hard to barrel a ball when it's not in the strike zone. If he fine tunes that at the plate, Ryan Hearn can be a sneaky good player. Like you said, you were targeting him. If you look at um, – I just have draft champions up, so forgive me here, but I was doing stuff with this earlier. So draft champions so since March 1st. Ahern's going to pick 551. He's the 53rd first baseman off the board. So he's going to be free in online drafts like everything else. And he's a, he's a decent late-round pick, as you mentioned, in the, the platoon, strong side of the platoon. I got no problems with Ryan O'Hearn. He's one of those guys, a small tweak. As long as he raises that batting average, counting stats will come with it. Hitting seventh isn't great in Kansas City, but that lineup thing is going to be pretty fluid because there was times last year he was hitting third, fourth, fifth. Just have fun with that lineup. There's a lot of things that can change there. So, yeah, yeah. it can be sneaky good. Guess what his expected batting average was over his last 100 plate appearances? Uh, let's say 260. 291. Yeah, so see, he's, he must have he must have shrunk the zone a little bit. Got a little, what was his – I don't know if you have it up, but I was wondering what his chase rate was over that period. Of time. Uh, it was right around 30%, but um, a lot. Yeah. So he's yeah, still chasing pretty good. But he was at like, uh, when he struggled earlier in the year, he was at like kind of 33 ish percent. So, so, um, so he honed it in a little bit. Yeah. But I, I, I think you're right in the sense that like he was chasing outside the zone. That's probably accounts for a lot of the ground balls that he was hitting. Um, he's a guy that I, um, that's uh, yeah. I, I remember I wanted him in my most recent draft champions, but I kind of it was when everything was going down, and I kind of lost interest in the later rounds. Like I just wasn't paying as much attention as I probably should, and he got picked up. But um, I really like that one. Let me let me see how many shares I have of him. Um, this is always a uh, let's see. I can't remember how I do this. What I do? Stats, player shares. Oh man. The player, guess who the player is that I have the most of? Joe Musgrove. No. There's a lot with you. Who's, who is it? Drew Smiley. 
<laughs> I've actually been drafting them. Ten shares. How many total drafts? Uh, I don't know. Let me see what percentages. I have three three shares of Ryan O'Hearn. I should have more. That's a failure on my part. So ten shares in seventy one point four percent of my drafts. So my math isn't very good, but I would say I think that's sixteen drafts. Not bad. Drew Smiley, ride or die. Drew Smiley ten. JT Realmuto, eight. Mark Melanson, eight. Austin Voff, eight. Trent Thornton, seven. Daniel Norris, seven. Merrill Kelly, seven, which actually surprises me a little bit. Colin Posh or Poche, seven. Yeah. You're on brand. Man. You were on brand. That Real Muto. Look at all these, look at all these beautiful happy. players. All these beautiful so players. I wish, I wish, I wish I had. All right. I got a cut. Coming soon. Got a couple of questions here from Kenny at KL Dog seventy nine. Start out first with um, Trey Mancini with the things going on with him, which we don't know what's going on. Like surgery is successful, we don't know what the next step is going to be. Um, and it, it, it's kind of a, a tough question, but we just have to answer it, I guess. Um, in a dynasty keeper league, would you keep him or stick with him uh, on the injured list? If you have an injured list, I keep him on the injured list. That's my quick answer. Yeah, for sure. I, I don't know. It sounded like the surgery was successful, but they need to wait and see for a little bit to see um, whether the cancer, I think the right word is metastasized, but like spread um, or whether they were able to get it all. And so, you know, yeah, if he's got an IL, definitely do it. Let's just hope that everything works out and you are able to use him in your lineup um, as soon as possible. The other question from Kenny is something we've talked about a lot in this show, so he'll get a lot of his answers from that. But uh, how does drafting change at the late start, or does it? Players you're more interested in now with the late start. Like we said, a lot of these younger pitchers on innings limits, uh, injured players, uh, even potential prospects that you were hoping for a call-up, they might not get the call anymore type situations. Uh, it, it kind of affects those players more than anything. And then you mentioned – you know, those like really, really elite, consistent players get a bump. So anything else you want to add that we haven't talked about yet? No, I think that's that's basically it. You you covered them all. Um, yeah, the one that I just haven't heard, heard talked about that much is the guys with really good plate discipline, the guys who are really consistent since it is a shortened year and you don't want to be – You could, it's it would be great to be on the right end of variance, but it can also work against you being on the wrong end of variance. So I just don't think you want too many players that are kind of kind of high risk, high reward in that particular uh, instance. All right, a couple couple more questions, both from James, and we'll wrap us up. James at James underscore AG one on the Twitter is a question regarding game theory and fantasy contests, um, and you could associate this with baseball, but it's a football question. He said last year by far my top performing NFL best ball teams were in standalone leagues where I just drafted the best team and didn't worry about stacking. Uh, is there too much emphasis on upside uh, on overall prize formats? So what is question based, because we've talked about it on other shows, is when you're drafting a, a, a league game theory-wise, do you worry, worry more on upside guys, or how do you approach it Because with the overall prize, basically? Yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily think the type of team that you're trying to build <clears throat> is that different. I think a lot of times people think that they need to go really high upside or they need to, you know, like you need to have a lot of high variance guys and hope that they hit. 
Um, that's not necessarily my approach. I think the key to being successful in, in an overall competition is to be balanced, right? You need to compete in every single category. And so the build of your team might look a little bit different, right? You might, um, in a standalone league, you might feel comfortable getting like a 10 out of 15, you know, like 10 out of 15 teams in stolen bases or minimizing stolen bases a little bit in the draft and then hoping to catch up with them via the waiver wire if it comes around, knowing that that's not something you need to do in order to be successful. Whereas with a with an overall draft, you really need to be competing um, in every single category. Doesn't mean you have to be terrific in every single category. You just can't really uh, totally just not be good in a category. So I think the difference is the balance. I think where people go wrong is thinking that they need a bunch of high variance guys because by their very nature, like high variance guys are going to high variance, right? There's going to be some of them that maybe outperform and the other ones are just equally as likely to, to not, uh, to, to underperform, right? And so it ends up evening it out in the end. What I want is the best players on a balanced team and I want to take calculated risks. And so I want to take risks on guys that I think might have high upside maybe guys who have higher upside, but still seem like they're pretty stable commodities or high upside late in drafts, right? Like I think taking a guy after pick 200 that, that you have, you feel like has, has really high upside if he gets the plate appearances, but you're not quite sure he's going to get the plate appearances. I think that's when you want to take risks because you can kind of find some guys on the waiver wire who might be able to replace that value otherwise. So I think you need to take calculated risks, but I think it's wrong to go after a bunch of high variance guys. I think you want to build a balanced team with upside because what you need to have happen is you need guys, you need guys on your team to outperform what you were going to expect them to do. And you need to be able to fill in when guys inevitably don't. And it's much harder to do that on a high variance team, I think, than it is on a team that you have a little bit more of a sense of what to expect. And so, yeah, go after the better players for sure. And just target high upside late guys that you can replace it, replace if they fall flat. Yeah, I a hundred percent agree. I, I forgot to add the second part of his question because it was on a second tweet. He says, or is it just better to play to just draft the best team regardless of contest structure? Yes. That, that, that's the answer. Um, and I'm with you. The more I've done these shows with you and other people over the last few years, I, I used to be a guy that, that thought you had to have super upside and hit like the, I, I had more of the DFS standpoint of you to win a GPP, you got to be super unique. And uh, in a season long, it's just so much more different where you have to keep accumulating stats and accumulating stats. And you have to finish in the top, you know, like you said, 80 percentile or whatever, in each category for the most part to, to win it all. You can get lucky once in a while where things get weird, but you have to like, you can't just say, I'm going to finish like in the, you know, bottom third to bottom, you know, f- you know, half of saves and get away with it. You need to have good closers. You have to be able to do things like that along the way. You don't have two great closers, but you have to have saves on your roster. Um, You need that consistent production of every position. Uh, I think DVR was talking about it on um, rates and barrels. And it's a great point that with the, so many home runs now, people think you can take it easy and it's just, you just need, and others have talked about it, but he said it recently that you need more power. It's one of those things that even in two catcher leagues, like you need on average like 18 home runs from every position on your roster. So that means you either have to have a couple guys hit like 40 plus bombs to make up for deficiencies, or you have to have guys hitting 15 plus home runs everywhere and hope it all starts balancing out. 
for the most part. You have to be able to, to do that throughout. So I know like you keep track of like the 80th percentile. I know other guys do. Um, it, it's a it's a very useful tool to give you the balanced idea, to give you an idea of where your roster stands, where your your deficiencies are, where you need to attack things as the draft goes on. And that's where and towards the end of the draft, you can, then you can take your chances because if they don't work out, you can drop them and, and turn and burn the waiver wire. So I'm 100% with you on all that. All right. That'll wrap us up this week. Fun doing a mailbag. I was talking to Toby via text. We're, we have our hopeful players. We can, we can do those next week. We can save them for another week. If you guys keep having mailbag questions, I told Toby in these times, I think it's more fun to do mailbag stuff with you guys to talk about what you guys want to hear. So uh, keep those questions coming. Uh, any final thoughts on the week, Toby? No, uh, thank you. Thanks, everybody, so much for listening. I hope I wasn't too depressing there at the beginning and that you listened on to reach even this part of the podcast. Um, but just uh, take care, everybody. Uh, take care of yourselves. Take care of your neighbor. Um, enjoy this additional period of time that we have that baseball isn't happening to enjoy baseball a little bit more or, you know, enjoy other things and build some skills. I like that YouTube stuff that, uh, that, that Bubba's going to be doing. Yeah, no, work on things, better yourself, better the people around you by just showing you some, some common sense and some being some selfless nature. And we won't be preaching to you all the time on the show. It's just the times we're in, it's good to give a little, uh, uh, you know, thoughts on things besides just uh, rambling about fantasy, which we can do oh so well. So uh, thanks for listening. We'll be back with you guys next week. Toby's on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. I am at BDNTrick. This was Bub and the BatFlip, episode 29. Catch you guys next week. That is going to wrap us up for episode 125 of the Batflip Crazy Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, I hope everybody's doing well out there. Uh, take care of yourselves. Take care of one another. Best of luck with all of your continued fantasy baseball research. If you're drafting, uh, best of luck with all those fantasy baseball drafts. Take care and be kind to one another. <laughs>